0: Today, I would like to read the scripture from Daniel 3, verses 8 to 30. I will be reading from the ESV. Therefore, at that time, certain charlatans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever! You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and any kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There were certain Jews whom you have appointed over the fairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men... O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it's usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Because the king's orders was so urgent and the furnace overheated, The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's council gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire came upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God. Of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon.
1: Today is the second Sunday of the year, and at the beginning of this year, it's my desire to kind of set you up for the rest of the year, for the year 2022, regardless of what it might throw your way. And so last week I preached from Isaiah 61, and we talked about how important it is to first of us, first of all, for us to receive from the Lord. We have nothing to give. Unless we start by receiving from the Lord. We need his healing. We need salvation. We need his restoration. We need him to take our, uh, our pain and our, uh, you know, our ashes and turn them into beauty. We need to receive from him first. And then second, that's when it comes to partnership. We rebuild with him and we partner with him as we do what he's called us to do. And finally, we rejoice. We don't forget that, oh, there's a lot of work to be done, and then we forget to rejoice. And then we rejoice. We savor. We celebrate. This is part of the Christian walk. And I remember saying last week, it's not a, like a cherry on top kind of thing. It's a commandment. You're called to rejoice. You're, you have to rejoice. You don't have a choice in the matter. You have to do it. It's a commandment from the Lord. And so this week, against the backdrop of the New Year's high and the New Year's optimism the New Year's endless possibilities, you know, every year we kind of start off the year kind of with a sense of like, anything's possible this year, or this year is going to be my year, or new year, new me, like, you know, all these <laughs> different slogans that we throw around, right? Um, against the backdrop of all these things, I'll be talking about what it looks like to walk in faith in God's goodness, but in a fallen world. Because you guys know that we live in a fallen world, right? So the sermon for today is titled, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, because if you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, you know that it's not as easy as man, I'm going to name it and claim it. You know, I'm going to grab a hold of it. And this is what's going to happen in my life. It's not as easy as mind over matter. We're like, oh, I got to think positive thoughts and I have to transcend beyond this circumstance. And it's not as easy as the law of attraction. You've heard this term before, right? The law of attraction. You think positive things and positive things come your way. That's what law of attraction refers to. The Christian walk is not as simple as that. So how do we hold in one hand the fact that God is good And on the other hand, that life doesn't always look like what we think it will. We live in an imperfect world, a fallen world. So I'm going to start off by giving you a little bit of context from the passage that Yumi so valiantly read through. I'm serious. Like when I look at the passage, I was like, man, this is going to be a tongue twister for anybody. You guys know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it appears 13 times in 22 verses. I was like, oh man, poor poor Yumi. So thank you for valiantly uh, reading to us from it. Um, The context of this passage is this. Israel has been overtaken by the Babylonian Empire and they have been exiled from their land. So imagine an occupying force came into Korea and they exiled the entire Korean population to a different place. It's the same thing. This exile will last a full 70 years. So a full generation will not know what it feels like to live in their own land. And the Israelites have been taken to Babylon. This is what the Bible refers to as the Babylonian exile or the Babylonian captivity. It's around 600 BC or so. And so Israelites were looked down as a conquered people. They were servants of those people who conquered them, right? In the midst of this, there are a few, a handful of Israelites that were considered wise They were considered educated, of upright character, and so they were given positions of entrusted power. This was unmerited grace, especially given the fact that they were a conquered people, right? And so this is where we see Daniel. This is where we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, They are all living in Babylon. This is where it takes place, not in their own land, but in a completely foreign land. And hypothetically it should be pretty straightforward. You just take what you're given, you put your head down, you work hard, you adapt where you can, you adopt as many of the Babylonian customs as you can, and you slowly work your way up the ladder. That should sound pretty straightforward. But for the Israelites, there was one massive problem because their faith in Yahweh, a God that demanded complete allegiance there's no in-betweens there's no halfway faith no like oh i love yahweh but also you know the god of saturn and the god of mars and the god of the babylonians there's no in-between for this god yahweh this fact made it very very hard for them to fully integrate into babylon And so when King Nebuchadnezzar, he makes a golden statue and commands that everybody, every person, doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your background, your religious affiliation, doesn't matter. Every person in my kingdom is going to bow to this statue that I've erected. When he makes this mandate, you can imagine the conflict that this brings all of Israelites to. Because they tr- they believe in a God who says, Thou shalt ha- have no other gods before, before me. You shall not make any graven images. So it is in this context that certain Chaldeans, they accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They say, these Jews, they're not bowing to this idol. They're defying your power, Nebuchadnezzar. They're disobeying your orders. And so these Three men, they're given one last chance to save their lives. Bow down to the golden image and forsake your God, and you will live. It is at this point that we go into the story. When they're faced with this choice, these men say one of the most profound statements in the face of certain death. It wasn't like, we might kill you. No, it's like, we have killed people, and we will kill you, right? Right? And this is what they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this. This means we've already made up our minds. We've already counted the cost. We've already made peace with the consequences in our hearts. We know the cost of our convictions. We don't need to defend ourselves before you. And then they say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. This means there is no shadow of a doubt that God can deliver me. When we we put my God and you, king, side by side, one side clearly wins. You think you control my life. But you do not know that my life is in my God's hands. I am completely and undoubtedly sure that my God can save me no matter how life-threatening of a situation I am in. My life is completely, not 90% in his hands, it's 100% in his hands. My destiny, my fate, my future is not in your hands, it's in my God's hands. And then they say this, but even if he does not, even if he doesn't, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if he doesn't, I am so sure of God's sovereignty in my life. I'm so sure that this is the God, if he can speak galaxies into creation, this is a God who certainly can stop a king from throwing three men into a furnace. I'm so sure in his power to obliterate entire nations and armies that this is no big deal for him. This is nothing. You think you have my life in your hands... But actually, my, hand, my life is in the hands of the Lord. I'm so sure that he is able, he's willing, he, is, he, is, he has a capacity to do this. I am not changing my idea of what is true and what is real about God depending on my vantage point in the moment. I still believe that he is good. I still believe that he's all-powerful. Even if he doesn't, means that regardless of the outcome, my convictions hold true and I will still do right by God. Even if he doesn't, means that I know what's true about God and that does not change depending on my changing life circumstances. It means that instead of saying, well, if this works out... Well, if, if God is real and he's worthy and he comes through for me, then he is true. Instead of saying that you say, I will not bend the truth because I feel intimidated in the moment. I will not bend the truth because I am faltering in my commitment. I will not bend the truth because it's convenient for me to compromise at this moment. I will not compromise and I will not bend regardless of what happens. Even if I don't understand what God is doing right now. Even if I'm not sure what his plans are. Even if I'm not sure if I'm going to make it through the next five minutes. Even if he doesn't. Now, have there been moments in your life when you know that you have to make that choice? Either God is real or he's not. Either God is with you or he's not. Either this whole thing is true or this whole thing is a lie. Have you ever had to make that choice? How do you reconcile the fact that God is completely powerful, completely trustworthy, completely good, but there are also things that don't happen as we'd like them to happen? Now, in a room this big and with this many people here, I know that there's a lot of things that you guys have experienced that I haven't experienced. But this thing, I do know. I do know what it feels like to pray for someone you love and lose them to sickness anyway. I know what it feels like to be disappointed by something you thought God promised you. I know what it feels like to be unjustly accused of something you didn't do. I know what it feels like to be hurt and abused by the church. I know what it feels like to dare to trust someone and be let down. I know what it feels like to go through trauma and to need space and you need compassion. I know what it feels like to work up the courage to dare to dream again. I know that much. And I'm not underplaying any of that. Those things are very real. Very true. You can't wish them away. You can't say like, oh, but God is still good anyway. Let's move on with life. Let's think happy thoughts. No, these things are very real. And I'm not underplaying any of that. These are major blows in life. These are things that can alter your trajectory in life. These are profound scars that you're going to carry for years. These are things that can cripple you in life where you actually don't know if you'll ever be the same way again but here's our choice in the matter. We don't get to choose what happens to us, but we do get to choose how we'll respond, what we'll believe, how we'll let these circumstances shape us, whether it'll make us grow more dependent on God or whether it's going to make us more distant from him. If you go through any of these circumstances, any traumatic experience, any painful experience in your life, you still have a choice. Coming out of this, am I going to cling to God for a dear life or I'm going to go bitter and distant from Him? That is still a choice that we get to make. The other stuff, we actually don't get to choose very much. But this part, you do get to choose. How you respond. God can heal and He will heal but even if he doesn't. God can break through in your family, but even if he doesn't. God can change your circumstances in your workplace that are bringing you so much anxiety, but even if he doesn't. This is what it looks like to walk through a fallen world with complete confidence in God's goodness. God can bring a breakthrough this year for you. 2022 could be your year, but even if he doesn't. My allegiance to him, my confidence in him cannot flop based on what's happening around me. That's what it looks like to be tossed to and fro by the waves. I want my faith to be anchored even through the storms of life. I want to hold intention, the confidence of God in one hand, And surrender to God in the other. I want to know that he is for me. He's not against me in one hand. And also know, on the other hand, that he works all things, the good and the bad. He works all things for the good of those who love him. That's what it looks like to hold confidence on one side and surrender in the other. Now, how do you get to an even if he doesn't kind of mindset? How do you land there? And this is where I'll briefly go through three different ways in which we can get there, according to this passage that we read today. So here are just a few application points for us. The first point is you are not home. So don't be surprised when the world looks like the world. You're not home. We're not there yet. We live in a fallen world. Now, maybe we don't understand this on a daily basis, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were very aware that they're not in Israel. They're very aware that they're literally living in Babylon. They didn't have the luxury of getting bent out of shape, saying, how come this isn't like Israel? How come I'm penalized for being a Hebrew? How come they don't respect my faith? How come they don't let me live like I did back at home? They don't have that luxury. They were highly aware of the fact they weren't at home. They weren't surprised when Babylon looks like Babylon. They weren't surprised when Babylon sounds like Babylon. And we shouldn't be surprised when the world looks like the world. We would hope for something better for sure. We would hope that we would be an agent of change for sure. But we shouldn't be surprised when the world looks like the world. Did you know that as many times as, you know, poor Yumi read this through, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not their real names? They're actually given names. Names that were given to them when they were taken into Babylon. Their real names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Meaning, Yah is gracious. Yahweh is gracious. Who is like God? And Yahweh has helped. These are the names that they're carrying with them as they are living in a foreign land. These are the names that they're going to have to speak over themselves over and over and over again. Every time there's a hiccup, every time there's an injustice, every time, you know, they're not, they're not giving the favor and the promises and, and you know, the, the luxuries that they were given back at home. Every time that happens, they have to remind themselves, Yahweh is gracious. Who is like my God? None of these Babylonian gods can compare to this God of mine. And Yahweh has helped. Even as I'm living here in a foreign land, even as we are a conquered people, Yahweh has still helped. These are the names that they are carrying with them as they're living in a foreign land. They probably have to remind themselves every day, every time they run into problems, every time they're, 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 you know, they're wronged in any way, that their names are still Yahweh's gracious, who is like my God, and Yahweh has helped. Now here's the thing. We don't live in Babylon, but we're not home. Because as a Christian, this world is not your home. This is not your permanent dwelling. This is not your destination. This is not where you're called to be at the very end. And that's a good thing. Because the Bible says that we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. You can thrive. You can be an agent of change. You can advance the kingdom. You can do the will of the Father. You can bring down heaven on earth. But do not be surprised if the world looks like the world. Jesus over and over says, don't be surprised by suffering. Don't be surprised by injustice. Don't be caught off guard when persecution comes. He never says, if... Persecution comes. He says, when persecution comes. Because when we get comfortable and when we begin to forget, this is something that we need to be reminded of. You're not home. I need to tell myself, Susie, as great as this life is, as accomplished as you feel, as much as you love this job, this is not your home. This is not your per- permanent dwelling. This is not your destination. You're not home yet. You are transient. You're passing through this world. Many of us, I believe in this room specifically, actually have a very key awareness of this, especially as expats and foreigners, and even some of our Korean brothers and sisters who join us here, who are not fully immersed in Korean culture, not fully immersed in the Korean world. You're kind of like somewhere in between as well. I feel like a community like us, we have a very unique vantage point in that I'm never fully going to feel at home in Korea. And have to make amends with that. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not Korean. Although I, sometimes I kind of look like I'm completely non-Korean. I'm ethnically fully Korean. I'm ethnically fully Korean. But I was not born here. I was not raised here. I didn't go through the education system here. I don't I don't know so much of Korea. I'm always going to have a, an accent when I speak in Korean. They're always going to tell that I'm a foreigner. And I have to make peace with that. And it's okay. Even when I go back home, I, my my hometown is home nation is Chile, very, very far, literally on the other side of the globe. Even when I go there, I know that I'm not going to fully feel at home. And I think that's one of the very unique insights that we can have as an expat community, as a foreigner community, as people who are living in the in-between. You're never fully going to feel at home here. And it's okay to live with that feeling. You can still thrive. You can still make family here. You can still make an impact here. But don't settle in too quickly. This is not your home. And that's a con- that should be a constant reminder to us each and every day. Whenever we feel that cultural clash, I shouldn't be like, how come you're not treating me like people treat me in Chile? That's ridiculous, right? I should be in Chile in that case, right? I can't be like, how come you're not addressing me the way that people would address me in Chile? That makes no sense. And so while I live here, I'm very keen, very aware of the fact that I'm a foreigner here. That this is not truly, fully my home. And this is going to be a constant reminder for us who live here in a fallen world. Not just in Korea. It doesn't matter where in the world you go. You still live in a fallen world. You're not fully going to feel at home. And that's okay. You're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Second application for us today is what I'd like to call a thousand small yeses. A thousand small yeses. You make your commitment daily before the Lord, before any of the trials come, before any of the testings come, before these life-shattering, life-shaking experiences come. You make your commitment daily. Sometimes we look at heroes in the faith, And we say, wow, I wish I could be that someday. Wow, I wonder how they, you know how they got there? It's a thousand small yeses before that big yes. They've built a track record with the Lord. They've said yes to him the small things in life, even when they feel insignificant. They've built that kind of track record with the Lord. That is how they can withstand testing when that moment comes. That is how they have that faith that has been accumulated day after day, week after week, year after year to be able to stand when the testing comes. So if you ask yourself, how do you get there? That's how you get there. A thousand small yeses, even when it feels like nothing tomorrow, when you go to your workplace and you have every justification to say the wrong thing that will hurt or, you know, whatever it is, that small yes of no. I'm going to honor God with my tongue. (laughs) I'm going to get rid of this anger. Whatever it looks like, that small yes is going to lead to another yes, and another yes, and another yes. And it's going to build for you a lifetime of small yeses. And you will be ready for that time when the testing comes. Because you reinforce your allegiances and you perpetuate your track record before the testing comes. It's like this, if I were to think about, you know, we don't have this in Korea very much, but you know, in in different countries where houses uh, have carpets and it's carpeted all around. And you can tell exactly which rooms are people's favorites because because a carpet will be worn in certain places. Usually it's like the the, the hallway to the kitchen. (laughs) Usually that's where it's most worn down. It's almost like, imagine it's not the kitchen, imagine it's God, right? Every time you hit a small speed bump, you go to the Lord. Every time you have a prayer request, you go to the Lord. And you're starting to wear down that carpet. You're starting to make a track record for yourself. And then when the time comes, when the big testings come, you already know exactly where to go. You already know exactly who is trustworthy. You already know that this God hasn't failed you a million times and he's going to fail you this time. It takes a thousand yeses, a lifetime of following the Lord, not just this one grandiose moment of decision. So we are called to make our commitment before the testing comes. When the testing comes, you'll see what's being accumulated. You know that that doesn't come out of the blue, right? When the testings come, it only exposes what we've been accumulating You know, this was one of the biggest revelations for many people when the pandemic came, you know, like two years ago. It's like you realize when a lot of these things are taken out of your life, when you can't meet with friends, when you can't rely on like being able to be here on a Sunday, when you can't have all these crutches and all these things are taken away and you're left with. All right. What is my faith made of? Like, can I connect with the Lord without a pastor kind of prodding me on? Do I believe In in the Bible, when nobody's like making sure, uh, am I on my reading plan? I think that's one of the blessings of the pandemic. It didn't create certain things for us. In many ways, it just exposed what was already there. We just had nowhere to hide behind. And that's a good thing for those things to be exposed. When the testing comes, you'll see what you've built up and what you've accumulated. It's the moment when you realize, yeah, you're reaping what you've sown. And you've sown very faithfully, whether it was something good or something bad. You're sowing even right now on a daily basis. You just don't know it. But when testings come, that's when you realize what it is that you've been sowing. So first thing, right? First thing is you're not home. Don't be surprised when the world looks like the world. Second thing is a a thousand small yeses. It's not a magical moment in your life where you suddenly have this faith. No, it's faith that's built up day after day, week after week, year after year, when you're going through hard times and when you're going through good times. And my last application point for us today is look for the fourth man. Look for the fourth man. Look for God in the midst of the trial, not after it's all said and done, not after things have somewhat settled, but look for God in the midst of the trial. I love that in this story, it wasn't that God showed up after the danger passed. He appeared in the midst of the trial, in the middle of the furnace, and he's showing us that he's truly God Emmanuel. He's not the God who ditches us when we need him the most. He's a God who's fully there, fully present, God Emmanuel, God who is with us, especially when we're going through moments of testing. So don't look for God after the storm is over, but look for God in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trial. Ask yourself the question, where is God right now? Where is God right now? Where is the fourth man in the furnace right now? I love that even King Nebuchadnezzar He was the one who was peering in. He was the one who was most surprised to see the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. there in the furnace with him. Can you imagine what it would be like when you are walking with the Lord and seeking him in your greatest moment of need? And even your enemies are able to peer into your life and see that without a doubt, the God of the heavens and the earth is walking with you. Can you imagine what that would be like? Maybe it doesn't look like on a daily basis that we are literally, you know, bound. But maybe it looks like you're in a place where you have no control over certain situations or you can't free yourself or you feel helpless. Maybe it doesn't look like you're thrown into a fiery furnace, but maybe you find yourself in harm's way. Maybe you're unjustly wronged. Maybe you're severely punished. But as you look for God's presence... In the midst of the trial, you'll find yourself unbound and unscathed. Because the only thing, the only thing better than avoiding testing is overcoming testing. The only thing that is better than avoiding pain is overcoming pain. That's the only thing that is better. That is a life that is filled with testimony. Not a life where nothing bad has happened where all things have gone my way. It's a life where things have gone terribly wrong, and yet God is still faithful. That is a life filled with testimony. Often, our greatest offense towards God comes when we think he's off somewhere else in our moment of greatest need, where he lets you, quote-unquote, suffer alone. You feel abandoned when you feel like you need him the most. You feel betrayed you feel led on you feel left to deal with the situation on your own and that's when you feel a fence rising up in your heart where like where are you God I thought you said you'd be with me I thought you said you're good I thought you'd never leave me or forsake me I thought you'd take care of me and now I'm in my biggest moment of need and you're nowhere to be found I thought you would never let anything happen to me that is the fence that rises up in our hearts So here's my humble exhortation to you. Look for that fourth man. You'll find him there. You'll come to realize in those moments when you were crying out, when you were in pain, or when you were wronged, those moments when, like, your entire world just comes crashing down, when the the ground beneath you just, you know, gives away, he was there. He was weeping with you. He was persecuted with you. He was wronged with you. He was there. You know, Psalm 139, it says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Let me translate that to you. There's nothing you've gone through in life where God wasn't there. Even if you go to the heights, your your most happy moments where you feel elated, like nothing bad could ever happen in those moments, or even when you go to the depths, in your moments where like you're heartbroken, when you don't know if you can go on with life. Even in those moments, if you look for the fourth man, if Psalm 139 is true, even there you'll find his presence. You cannot outrun this God. This is a God who is with us in the midst of the trial. He's not waiting for things to clean up. He's not waiting for things to settle down. He's with us in the midst of the mess. And that is the God that we worship now I love how the story ends these three guys were you know how like the small details kind of matter they were wrapped in their cloaks their tunics their hats and all of their garments they were, it's a way of saying they were made the most flammable possible right they were made the most flammable possible <laughs> They were thrown into a furnace that was seven times hotter than normal so that even the people, because if you're bound, you can't really make your way to the furnace, right? They have to carry you into the furnace. Those people who were carrying them, they died. And so it's not like, oh, the fire didn't work. No, it worked. It worked very well. And so these three men who are wrapped in layers of clothing, who are bound hand and foot, and they were thrown into this furnace, they who are bound and tied up, are unharmed by the flames, and they are having the most intimate time of communion and fellowship with our God, not outside the furnace, inside the furnace. Did you know your hardest moments in life, they have that potential to become your moments of greatest intimacy and fellowship with God? They have have the potential to become those landmark moments in your life that you're going to look back on years after and say, I don't know, you know, I don't know much about life, but I do know this. God showed up there and I'm never the same. God showed up when I needed him the most and my life completely changed. I cannot see them the the same way that I did before. Moments like that, moments of a fiery furnace in your life, they have the potential to change your life forever because God is there in the moment, in the trial. They're having the most intimate fellowship with God they've ever had in their lives, in the furnace. And even King Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan and evil king, he had to acknowledge that the God of the Hebrews was real. He looked in, in their moments, when they, they should have been most desperate, more most tempted to give up on their faith, And they saw them clinging to God and having fellowship with God in the midst of the fiery furnace. And even King Nebuchadnezzar, he had to look in and he had to acknowledge that this God is real. This is not a fairy tale. This is not positive thinking. This is a God who is real and he meets them in the fiery furnace. That is the power of an even if he doesn't kind of life. That is the power of an even-if-he-doesn't kind of mindset and testimony. You choose to give God the glory before the breakthrough. Whether it comes or not, you give room to work, for God to work in miracles, and you experience the most intimate and most profound communion with him in the midst of the hardest moments of your life. And ultimately, He receives all the glory. He receives all the praise. If I was to think back on my life and think back on the most soul-crushing moments in my life where I didn't even know if I would make it through, I know for certain that those were the moments where I clung to God for dear life. Like I couldn't turn to anybody else. God had to be my all. Like he had to be my everything. And it's in those moments where I believe that my faith began to grow. It's in those moments where I realize like, oh, God can actually be trusted. It's not just flowery poetry. He can be trusted. He's my strong tower. He's my refuge. He will hide me under the shadow of his wing. That's when I knew. When I look back in my life, yes, those moments were filled with pain. Those moments were filled with loss, all of that. But man, God showed up. Man, God was faithful. And he changed my life. And I cannot be the same ever again. It was moments like that. Fiery furnace moments that I believe drew me closer to God. And I'm going to close with this. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. And you know, if you could lead for us, uh, great is thy faithfulness. That'd be great. I want to close with this. The most clear example in the entire Bible of an even-if-he-doesn't posture of heart is Jesus Christ himself. Because the Bible doesn't exhort us to do something that he didn't already do. Jesus did this himself. And the clearest picture of this was of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he was about to go through crucifixion, Jesus says, Father, If you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. For Jesus to lay down his life for you and I, it wasn't a flipping like, Oh, okay, I'm going to be back after three days kind of thing. It was a choice that he had to make. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, chose to lay down his life, chose to embrace the pain and the injustice of the cross. He chose to take full wrath, the full wrath of God for the sins of the world to be taken upon his own broken body. He chose to allow the Father to turn his face away as he was crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama Sabatani. It is the only moment in history the only person in all of history who has experienced the full abandonment of God. None of us have experienced that kind of darkness. He is the one person in all of history who have experienced the full turning away of God's face. And he approached it saying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, meaning you can bring me down from this cross I know you're fully capable. I know you're able. This is God we're talking about. Of course he could stop a few Roman soldiers. Of course he could stop the Sanhedrin. That's never been my my issue. If you're willing, you can do all these things. I'm fully 100% sure of your faithfulness. I'm fully confident in your goodness. I'm fully confident in your power. Yet, not my will but yours be done. Surrender. Yet not my will, but yours be done. That's an even if he doesn't. Not my will, yet yours be done. Jesus was not rescued from the fiery furnace of crucifixion. He was tortured. He was mocked. He was executed naked on a cross. The very son of God was not spared so that you and I could be. And he did this with absolute confidence in God's goodness on the one hand, and he held absolute surrender to God's will on the other. God is fully capable of releasing me from this pain. God is fully capable of letting me bypass this cup that I'm about to take. And yet, not my will, but yours be done. I'm still God's beloved son. God is still for me and he's not against me. God is still God Emmanuel, a God who is with me. But even if he doesn't come through in this way, even if he doesn't take this pain away, Even if he doesn't take this cross away, I'll praise him. I'll love him. I'll trust him. I'll surrender to him. I'll trust that his ways are higher. I'll trust that his plan is greater. That his wisdom and his understanding, I can't even fathom. This is what Jesus said as he took on the cross for you and I. And I want to trust God that way. I want to trust God the way that Jesus did I want to have a kind of deep intimacy and communion with God the Father the way Jesus did and I want this community to trust God in this way as well I want this church to be a church that is just so, so confident in God's goodness and yet so surrendered to his will as well that no matter what happens no matter what this year looks like for you No matter what 2022 brings your way, will you be just so anchored in your faith, so unshaken by life's circumstances? Yes, it will hurt. Yes, there will be times where you're confused and you don't know what to do, but your faith will not be shaken. Will you cling to him even more through those trials? You grab a hold of him even more desperately during those times of need. That is my desire for this community. So, I'm going to ask us just to close in prayer. I'm going to ask us to come before the Lord. And I'm going to ask you one question that I want you to pray through with God. What is your even if he doesn't declaration for this year? What is your even if he doesn't declaration for this year? i know my god can heal me from this sickness but even if he doesn't i will worship him i know god can fix this problem with my family but even if he doesn't i'll still trust him i know my god can lift me out of this hole of loneliness or depression i find myself in but even if he doesn't i'll trust that he's still worthy of my all. What is your even if he doesn't declaration for this year? You more. We long to trust you through and through. We long to go through our trials and our testings and know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are worthy of our trust. So we say that we need your help. Where there is a hesitation, we need your help. Where there is doubt still lingering, we need your help. Where there is disappointment, we need your help. Where there is offense, we need your help. We want to live lives that are fully trusting in your goodness and fully surrendered to your will. And we know, God, that we won't get all of the answers that we want. And we won't get all the prayer requests answered in the ways that we want. We still want to trust you. We want to trust that your ways are higher, that your plans for us are better, that you're playing the long game. And sometimes we don't see that far. We want to trust that you are the potter and we are the clay, that we are in good hands. We know exactly what you're doing with our lives. Even in those moments where it feels like so much is spinning out of control, God, we want to trust there's one person that is fully in control of every situation. And that is you. Help us trust you, God. Help us worship you through the trials. Help us grow in confidence of your goodness, your hand at work in our lives, and also grow in surrender to your plans and your ways in our lives. Holy Spirit, would you do a deep inner work in us, a transformation that can't just come through positive thinking, A transformation that has to happen through you, Holy Spirit. Would you rewire us from the inside out? Would you reach those places in our hearts, God, that no one else knows about? Would you remind us, God, that you were there in our moments of greatest need? Would you do this work in us that our lives would bear witness of a God who is worthy of our trust? We thank you, Father, for your presence with us even today. As we are working on these thousand small yeses this year. These small moments of trust. These small moments of saying yes to you. These small moments of choosing you over other things. Would we build a lifetime of surrender. A lifetime of trust with you. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.